listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe you remember the movie, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. It's a story of a boy born very old, and unlike other children, Benjamin ages backward. He gets younger as time goes on. And the story shows Benjamin's struggle to connect with people and specifically to experience love in a world that is growing older. As people grow and progress in life, he is regressing. He is becoming unnaturally young. He is immaturing. And this is particularly complicated when Benjamin falls in love with a woman named Daisy, ends up eventually having a baby with her, and he sadly realizes that he is not going to be able to be there for her. And there's a scene where Daisy can't get over the fact that she's getting older, Benjamin's getting younger, and Daisy asks Benjamin this question. She says, are you still going to love me when my skin gets old and saggy? And then he responds, are you still going to love me when I have acne? And I begin to wet the bed. And I'm afraid of what's under the stairs. And it becomes really clear, like, this isn't going to work. Life doesn't work backward. And as much as I know for all of us, it sounds appealing to get younger again. I'm at that, that pivotal kind of moment in my life where I'm like, all right, time, slow down. And as much as that sounds appealing, it's actually a not, a, not a sustainable existence. We are all intended to age with grace. We are all intended to mature. And while youthfulness is a gift, and youthfulness is something to cherish as a gift from God, we must all eventually grow up. In fact, to fail to grow is to move against the grain of life itself. In clinical terms, it's failure to thrive. However, we also live in a time of what has been called prolonged adolescence, where there is less and less motivation for young people to grow up and become adults. We are surrounded by boys in men's bodies. It's what's been called the Peter Pan syndrome. And this is the world that we live in, where immaturity is tolerated, immaturity is enabled, immaturity is even celebrated, and we have become so accustomed to it that we don't even blink at it anymore. And while this pattern is certainly devastating in society, like I don't even know how, I don't, I don't even want to know how this thing is going to end up right now. And while it's devastating in society, what we're looking at and what we're talking about today is the impact it has 
on the community of faith, our own faith, and our perseverance in the faith. Today, just like in the first century, which we're reading of here in Hebrews, there were those who have claimed to have been born again by faith, but they're stuck in spiritual infancy. Or like in the curious case of Benjamin Button, they're actually regressing. We'll look at that passage next week, a passage focused on the theme of apostasy. Now, what I want to do before I get into this passage is draw a line of distinction that is very important as we're talking about maturing and growing. There is a clear difference between childlike faith and childish faith. If you remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 18, he says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like what? Children. Then you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So clearly, becoming like a child is essential according to Jesus. Childlike faith is about trust. It's about need for God. It's about dependence upon him. Childlikeness is innocence and wonder and a sense of freedom. However, childish faith is an entirely different thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 would say this, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So these childish ways are what the, he- the author of Hebrews is describing here. It's spiritual Peter Pan syndrome. It's a refusal to grow up. And while there are stages of spiritual growth, you must learn how to crawl before you're walking and you're running. The trajectory is this, that every Christian should be growing. It's the test of true, genuine faith. Are you growing in godliness? Are you growing in dependence upon God? Are you growing in your trust and your joyful obedience of his word? Are you growing? Now, there is a process of growth that is natural for all people, from infancy to childhood, childhood to adolescence, and adolescence into adulthood. And and the path of spiritual growth follows a very similar trajectory. The Bible talks about infants and those who long for, quote, spiritual milk to grow. Now, infants are wonderful. Infants are a gift. Infants mean new life and vitality. But think about infants. Infants aren't contributors. Infants are not leaders. Infants are necessarily needy on other people. They're along for the ride. Babies are carried. Babies are pushed around. Babies are fed. And here's the thing. Every church should have spiritual infants. It means that new birth is in our midst. It means the gospel is doing what the gospel claims to do, and people are being born again. And then there's childhood. There's learning and growing. But it's still sort of fairly undeveloped. For children, some responsibilities come. But it's very much still about taking and getting. What do kids do? They spend a lot of time and energy fighting off boredom. What do kids do? They spend a lot of time just trying to figure out who they are. They, they still see themselves as sort of the center of the universe, that it's my life and everyone's living in it kind of thing. And then to be honest, there are no categories 
for adolescence in Jewish thought. We don't even have a category for that in the Bible, so we just got to skip over that part. And the expectation is this, that someone will develop in each stage, but then move forward. And so it is with Christian growth. Now, there are necessary stages where infants need milk. And to rush that process would be frustrating at best, but harmful at worst. Imagine trying to shove a piece of meat down an infant's mouth. They're going to choke. It's going to be dangerous. And children need constant attention. And children need constant reassurance. And they need to hear things over and over and over and over again. But God intends for us to mature. Both personally and as a community, as a church. Growing in our knowledge of God, growing in our wisdom, growing in our courage to do hard but necessary things, growing in our joyful obedience, growing in our unity and our love and our concern for other people's lives, growing in our assurance of who Jesus is, growing in our delight of abiding in him, growing. And here's the good news, God desires your growth. There is no one more invested in your growth process than God himself. Jesus died and rose again to offer us new life so that we could be born again into a new life, into a new spiritual life. We have been given the spirit of God who is now powerfully working within us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now within our lives bringing life to our mortal bodies, causing us to grow, to transform our minds, to shape our hearts, to change our lives. The Apostle Paul would write to the Philippians in, first, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and he said this, I am sure of this. This is my confidence for God's people, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will effectively enable his people to go from spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity. God is going to do it. Amen? Amen. And this passage we're looking at today is showing us how we can measure that growth. Growth must be measurable. It's not enough to say, well, I feel grown. But what are the metrics for that? See, the author of Hebrews is addressing believers that have been in the faith as long as 30 years. And while this is a harsh assessment, I'm not going to like sugarcoat this. This is a very difficult word. Feels very harsh, very sharp. But here's the thing, it is not unnecessarily harsh. This is not a brand new church plant. This is not a church community full of brand new converts. This is an aging community that is languishing in immaturity. And so they need tough love to snap them out of it. Coddling them is not going to help them in their current state. And this passage is going to challenge them to assess their own growth, to get honest with themselves about where they are and where God intends for them to be, whether or not they truly are progressing or they're regressing. And I hope that it will have a very similar effect on us today. So here's the main question. How do we measure 
spiritual maturity. If you're taking notes, the first point is this. We measure our maturity by our hearing. By our hearing. In the previous passage, the author dives into the theological depths. He is describing that Jesus is better and that he is not in the line of Levitical priests that are born and then they die, they come and go and they're replaced, but he's a priest in a different order, in the order of Melchizedek. And this priest does not die. And unlike all the other priests that came before him, when Jesus offers the once and for all sacrifice for sins, it's not for his own sins because this priest is perfect. And now he reigns and serves as our forever high priest. And as he gets to that very final line, after the order of Melchizedek, what this author realizes is that he's just lost his audience. <laughs> just like it lost many of us. You're like, I'm tracking, I'm tracking after the order of Melchizedek. And you're like, what? He realizes that they're not ready for this. He is addressing a church that is content to continue to sing Sunday school nursery rhymes. Melchizedek who? I don't think that rhymes with any word. Or I don't remember reading about him in my picture Bible. He knows his audience. They're not ready. In fact, he says in verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. In other words, we're going to circle back to this, and he will in chapter 7, but it's going to be too difficult for them to take this in. And the problem is not with what he is saying. The problem is not with sound theology and doctrine. He says it's because of your ability or lack thereof to hear it. He calls them dull of hearing. Now I want to make two things really clear. This has nothing to do with intelligence levels. This has nothing to do with cognitive abilities. There is a very, hear me clearly, a very dignified place in our church and in the family of God for people of differing cognitive abilities. If you study the life of Jesus, there's lots to say about this, but if you study the life of Jesus, you constantly see him moving towards people with disabilities. The second thing I want to say is this has, this has nothing to do with age. I really believe that God is speaking to young people today. I believe that God is stirring my kids' generation to have a faith maybe stronger than our generation. There's a story in 1 Samuel that I love. It's the future prophet of God, Samuel. He's in the temple. He's there abiding in the temple. And as he's sleeping, he's just a little boy. He hears someone calling his name. And so he thinks, oh, he goes to the priest. It must be the priest calling his name. And he goes, he says, I'm not calling you. Go back to bed. And it happens again. He says, here I am. He says, I'm not calling you. And then he realizes this boy is hearing from God. And he tells him, next time you hear your voice, hear your name being called, say, Lord, I'm listening. And we're told in 1 Samuel 3, and the Lord came and stood calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak. For your servant, what? Children, you are in a ripe place to hear from God. You don't have to wait another day to hear his voice. Simply say to God, speak, your servant hears. So this doesn't have to do with 
uh, intelligence levels. This does not have to do with age either. The point is, the people have become dull of hearing. It's not that they can't understand. They don't want to understand. It's the difference between hearing and listening. Like when small children hear their parents calling them, but they're pretending to not listen and they don't respond. Or when like teenagers learn to sort of tune out their parents for so long that pretty much everything they say falls on deaf ears. Or like when an adult sadly learns to tune out the voice of their spouse. We, We jokingly call it selective hearing. But you're rejecting the voice of someone you love and that loves you. So when you hear the words of God, whether it's scripture being read, whether it's scripture being preached, whether it's scripture being spoken to you through a friend or a counselor or a pastor, do you hear Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 maybe that's all you've heard this morning, or do you hear God speaking? Do you just hear noise in the background, filling space, or do you hear God's voice? Or for instance, when you hear something in the word that you don't understand, or when you hear something that you don't like, or when you hear something that challenges you, do you tune it out? Or do you press in? Or how about this, where do you turn to for assurance? Where do you turn to for guidance and comfort and truth? Is it more and more towards the word of God, or is it more and more towards other sources? We measure our maturity by the way that we hear God's voice and how we respond, whether or not we realize God is speaking to me. Secondly, we measure our maturity by the health of our spiritual diet. Look with me again in verses 12 through 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now let's think about milk for a second. Milk is absolutely essential. Milk is absolutely vital for the nourishment and the development of an infant and a small child. Now, I am not going to wade into a conversation about the appropriate age to when you're gonna wean your child. I'm not going to, so like loosen up. But, and I hope this isn't controversial, there is a certain point where a small child must be weaned. Right, is that still an agreed upon idea? Okay, good, okay. It's been a while since we've had kids. I don't know. Things change. I'm not on social media anymore. So we can agree that there is an age, whatever that age is, an appropriate age where a child is weaned from milk to solid foods. Now, remember that the church being addressed here is a church of nearly 30 years. So as one commentator put it, adults fed on a diet of milk for 30 years, this is an understatement here, would be severely malnourished. Severely malnourished. Could you imagine showing up to the Super Bowl party today with like bottles of milk and like, guys, we're going to feast today. 
Milk is the result of solid foods being digested by someone else. They eat, they reduce it down in their body, and then it's fed to an infant. It's not direct nourishment, it's technically indirect nourishment. It's pre-digested in someone else's body. And so spiritual infants, they do need this process. They need someone else chewing on the meat, reducing it down, thinning it out, and then giving them something that they can take in. So I want to make this really clear. If you're new to the faith, or if you're just checking out the things of Christianity, there should be zero shame, no sense of guilt or embarrassment if you don't understand what's being said. If you do need someone to explain it to you, that's right. Don't feel ashamed. In fact, I hope that there's someone in this community, maybe even today, that will pull you aside and say, did you hear anything that you need help understanding today? The concern, however, is when a child never graduates. I mean, we even have like, what, Gerber graduates, right? Like, moving forward. So to use this metaphor, a person who is still on a diet of milk is the Christian who constantly depends on others chewing the word for them and then giving it to them in a reduced, easy-to-digest version. I'm not opposed to daily devotions. I'm not opposed to daily devotional books, but what we need to remember is this, that someone else's thoughts and someone else's words about God ought to be a supplement to your spiritual diet, never the main course. So if you're spiritual devotion is one Bible verse and then like three or four paragraphs explaining it. You're living on supplements. You're malnourished. Or for instance, a book or a podcast or even a sermon. At the end of the day, it's something that has been digested by someone else, reduced down and then given to you. It's not bad. In fact, I hope you find the sermon quite good today. It's just not enough. This is not enough, folks. So I want to urge you to dig into the word on your own. And if it means small, bite-sized pieces at first, that's fine. It's not about the size of what you bite off in the morning or in the evening or whatever you're spending time in the word. It's not really about the size of the portion. The point is developing a taste and a hunger for solid food. The point is stirring your appetite for truth and biblical depth and then growing in your delight in communion with God so that you have no hunger for anything less than God's presence. You ever been ruined for anything else? You were like taken to a fancy restaurant and you're like, I can never go back now. You have that piece of meat. You're like, I can, I can never go back now. That's what God's word is intended to do for us. I love hearing when people are discovering beauty within God's word. Maybe it's someone making connections in the Bible they've never made before. Or maybe someone courageously dives into a book that they've been afraid to start for a long time and now they're finding the beauty of God's truth in places they've never seen it before. Growing in an appetite for God's word. Look at me again in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the mature have a taste for righteousness. 
means an appetite for what God calls good and an aversion for what God calls evil. We become snooty like Gordon Ramsay, right? Where you, where you know when something tastes good and then you're like, this is absolute rubbish. This is absolute garbage. I'm offended that this went into my mouth. Small kids are gonna put anything in their mouth. Parents, remember these stages? It's terrifying. You never knew what you're gonna discover in that kid's mouth. We had a child, I won't say which one. We discovered them in their bedroom with diaper cream smeared on the floor, on their face, and in their mouth. When I was a small kid, my mom put little stickers on things under the sink. Had that little picture of the kid that went like this. And it was to say, just in case you had a craving for Ajax, don't do it. It's going to poison you today. But as we mature in the word, we will know what to consume and what not to consume. What to take in what to avoid, what is gonna nourish our soul and what's gonna poison us. But also there's that stage where children know not to eat things that are going to poison them, but they still haven't achieved that maturity where they know that they, for instance, if they're gonna eat all that candy and soda, they're gonna puke later. They don't have the discernment about what is good food and what is not good food. So to take that illustration, it's like spending maybe 10 minutes in the Bible and then about on average four to five hours scrolling Netflix and Instagram. You're gonna spiritually puke. The more you grow through the nourishment of God's word, the more wisdom that you're gonna have about what is good to take into your life, what leads to life, and what is evil and spiritually unhealthy and leads to death, what is truly gonna satisfy your soul or what's gonna make you sick, what's gonna slowly kill you. Here's the last thing I'm gonna say about milk. Um, the child that drinks milk is necessarily needy. They approach things with an infant mindset. An infant, whether they can articulate it or not, what they're constantly saying when they cry or when they toss and they turn is, feed me. Feed me. Infants are breastfed or bottle-fed. Small kids are spoon-fed. Even when you're a kid, you have your parents like cut things into bite sizes for you. You're dependent on other people, but adults take the fork and they feast. And not only do they eat solid foods, but they help others as well. He says, verse 12, by this point, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers. So the spiritually immature person is constantly concerned with, am I being fed they say that every time they come to church, they say that every time they go to a Bible study, they say that every time they're around other people. Am I being fed? The spiritually mature person asks a completely different set of questions. Who can I feed? Who can I disciple? Who can I lead to Christ? You guys still with me? I told you it wasn't an easy word. Third and finally, we measure our maturity by our handling of the word. This isn't just about knowing the truth. This is about rightly handling the truth. The author speaks of those who are unskilled in the words of righteousness. This means that their spiritual bodies 
are underdeveloped. They're inexperienced. The muscle mass hasn't been defined yet. They don't know what to do with what they hear, as the famous line from the movie is, you can't handle the truth. You don't even, you can't lift that weight. Your body's not ready for it. But he says the mature are, quote, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. This word trained in the original language is gumnadzo. Does that word look familiar? It's where we get the word gymnasium. Gym. So any good doctor, especially when they meet with aging patients, are going to be concerned about two vital things. Diet and exercise. So this training has to do with exercise, habits that are formed through repetitive practice. So that it's not just hearing the word, but it's putting it into practice. Or as the Apostle James would say in James chapter 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. If you think that you're good because you're simply hearing the word, James says, you're deceiving yourself. We grow in the word only through putting it into practice. Determining to align our lives around the truth. A head full of knowledge without a life of transformation is spiritually stunted. And so the true measure of spiritual maturity is not just how much of the Bible that you know. It's what you're doing with that knowledge. Whether it's stirring deeper faith and trust in Christ whether it's stirring repentance and joyful obedience and hope about the future. Dallas Willard once said, hearing God makes sense only in the framework of living in the will of God. God's voice only makes sense in the framework of faith and obedience. But let's get honest. Our natural response to hearing God's word is to determine whether or not it makes sense to us first, and then if we determine if it makes sense to us first, then we will choose to respond in obedience. And then if it doesn't make sense, then we've gotta deal with that, and we're like, well, you know, we're never Bible scholars until the Bible tells us to do something we don't wanna do, and you're like, well, actually, you have to study the culture at this time. We find every reason to not do it. Growth happens when we simply, and here's the difference between childlike and childish. Growth happens when we trust God. We trust his word. We trust his ways. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when it contradicts our own feelings and our own ideas and our own comforts. Let me close with this. Uh, maybe you grew up watching the Charlie Brown cartoons or reading the Peanuts column in the newspaper. And if you did, you remember this character named Linus. Very smart boy, but very immature. Always walking around, sucking his thumb. And you remember what he would carry around? The blanket, the security blanket. And everyone in his life was constantly trying to get rid of that blanket, shaming him, even trying to take it from him. He would never give it up. 
until the Christmas special. Charlie Brown, he's looking for the reason of Christmas. Will someone tell me what Christmas is all about? And Linus is like, I can tell you. He gets up on that center stage, clears his throat, calls for the lights, and he begins to recite Luke 2. And as he gets to that line where the angel says, fear not, it's almost out of the camera, or it's almost out of the picture, he drops his blanket. It's as if the words that are coming out of his mouth stir him towards a greater courage and growth. And I think it's symbolic, and it means this, that his security was being transferred from childish things like a blanket to the good news of Jesus, from something weak, whatever our security blanket is, to something strong and lasting, the good faithful news of Jesus Christ. And this reflects how we grow as well. Here's the principle. Spiritual growth is gospel growth. Our growth is not just personal self-improvement. Our growth is not just simply giving in to the pressures of other people where I guess they're growing, I guess I have to as well. No, we grow so long as we abide in Jesus Christ. We grow like fruit does by abiding in the vine through dependence and trust in who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus experienced all of our humanity. He stepped into it all. Everything we've experienced, he experienced, down to temptations and struggles and pains, including infancy. We think about the life and ministry of Jesus in those final three words, but what about infancy? What about his child, his days of childhood? He experienced the struggle to grow. He experienced the awkward middle ages or the, those middle stages between being a kid and a teen. He was there. And it says in Luke chapter 2, and the child, speaking of Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. Here's the good news. That same Jesus who grew is now interceding for you at the right hand of God, strengthening you, encouraging you, supporting you, causing you to grow, causing you to mature as, as well. Whatever age you are at, whatever stage of development your body is or whatever stage of life you find yourself in today, you can reflect Jesus because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And the more that you stare into the person and the work of Jesus, the more that you fill your mind and heart with the good news of Jesus' life, his obedience, his sacrificial death to take away our sins, his powerful resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God, the more you will grow in love, in courage, in confidence, in faith, and in joy. Tim Keller put it this way. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. It's inaccurate to think the gospel is what saves non-Christians and then Christians mature by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. It is more accurate to say that we are saved 
by believing the gospel, and then we are transformed in every part of our minds, hearts, and lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. It is not the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. Maybe you're here today and you realize that there is no growth in your life. Maybe you are in the place where you're finally willing to be honest with yourself that you don't hunger God's word. You don't have an appetite for his righteousness and the things of the Lord. But hear me clearly, your problem isn't that maybe you haven't been trying hard enough and I just need to put more effort in. It actually may be more severe than that. It may be that you've never actually tasted and seen the goodness of God. Because again, This is the nourishment, this is the food, this is the sustenance that ruins you for everything else. And once you get a taste for God, there's no going back. Maybe today is the day where you realize I've been around the things of God, but I've never bitten in. It's been on the table, it's been on the plate before me for so long. Today's the day to take it in by faith. Or maybe it means that you've been settling for milk. You've been settling for pre-digested, reduced, easy to take in truths of God's word when God is calling you to the table to feast. Don't settle for bottles today. Settle for nothing less than the banquet feast of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.